this guy have a history of what? NSAID use. NSAID use. Is that important? Yes. Good. Alcohol use. Alcohol use like that too, right? Can those be risk factors for upper GI bleed? The answer is yes. yes, right? Right? Smoking as well too, right? So you're going to be considering those things, right? You're looking at that on your history, right? When you're doing this at a, on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a, on a, if this was the LMCC or the CCFP exam, that's the kind of question that you'd be answering, right? What are his risk factors for an upper GI bleed? Let's say he said, let's say you find out he's, you know, he, he, let's say you find out that, you know, he has, we're going to talk about this in a moment, hepatitis, hep C, you know, and you read through that he's seen the hepatologist a few times, he's on some medications for his liver, what would you be concerned about, eh? A Pharisee. Those are no big deal, right? Like, those don't cause much problems, right? Can those things be really bad? Yes. Exactly, right? Now, because of his age group as well, you know, if this had been, you know, what would you also concern that bleeds really like steak? Cancer, right? So esophageal or gastric, right? You good so far? Lower GI bleeds, all right? So more distal to the ligaments of triads, right? What kind of symptoms will you see with that or signs will you see with that? Yeah, so you tend to see bright red blood pyrectum. Can upper GI bleed give you bright red blood pyrectum? Yes. Yeah, if you do see that, you know it's going really fast. You, when you go, you hope the surgeon is like right beside you. Does that make sense? I'll tell you the worst, sometimes the worst people that I've seen with upper GI bleeds are the people with gastric varices. Because gastric varices are very difficult to bend. You need to do this gluing. This one is this cryocyanate glue. And they only do it in London. That's the problem. And, and we, I have two patients, and they have getting documented gastric varices. And they're like, they when they come in with a bleed, you're on the phone with London like right away. No, no, no. We need to get to London. We need to go to London like right now. Like London right now. London. Hello, London. London Health Sciences. Does that make sense? Because they can bleed, and can varices bleed a lot? The answer is, there you go. Huh? I'm, they do a lot of liver stuff at London, right? I think London is the transplant center, right, for liver transplants. Yeah. So I think that's why they're, they're just so, right? So varices can bleed a lot. Cancers can bleed a lot, right? Okay, so a brisk upper GI bleed, can that give you bright red blood pyrectum? The answer is? Yes. There you go. It can give you very, very bright red blood pyrectum. And it's telling you it's brisk. It's really fast. You get melina because, like, the acid works um, 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 on the blood in your stomach, right? If it's, if, it's, if it's bright red blood, that means the blood is coming out so fast and blood is kind of a cathartic, but the acid has no time to work on it to turn it into melina. Does that make sense? All right. Lower GI bleed, you tend to get more. Bright red blood pyrectum. What else can you see? Good. You might see obstruction, right? People might present with that, right? Okay, upper GI bleeds, right? What are some common causes? We go through the common causes of upper GI bleeds. And we did that. We did that, right? Like varices, that type of thing, ulcerations. What's that little bug again that we know causes a lot of ulcerations? Exactly, right? Right? Remember, H. pylori causes the vast majority of duodenal ulcers, right? Right? Vast majority of duodenal ulcers. You know, still a majority of, of gastric ulcers, right? But usually they biopsy automatically gastric ulcers because they're higher pretensions that they're cancerous, right? We good so far? What can be common cause of lower GI bleeds? Cancer. What else? Uh, yeah, perf diverticulum, right? That can bleed like stink, right? Yeah, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, that can cause it as well too, right? Huh? ADMs. Yeah. Angiodysplasia. That's like that's the diagnosis when they do the, everything they can't find anything. Well, this is obviously small bowel angiodysplasia. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually what you do, right? All right. Excellent. Okay. So this person, what do we think our guy is having? Is he having an upper or lower? He's having a? 
upper. Okay. What are we going to do for him in the, in the emerge? He's come inside. He's been like this for a couple days. His hemoglobin is 52. What are you going to do? Huh? First thing, what are you going to do? CABs. That's what you write on line with. CABs. This person comes to the emerge. You have to assess their CABs. Does that make sense? Because how do I know? If I don't assess their CABs, how do you know his blood pressure is not 60 over 40? Does that make sense? Or his respirator is, 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 is 39? Or his oxygen saturation is 84%, right? Remember, the answer to anything that you don't do is always no, right? That's why we always want to make sure that we start off with our CABs. We good so far? All right. So what are we going to do? So we think this guy's having an upper GI bleed. Do our CABs, get it monitored. What one blood test might need to be marked for? You can do a whole lot. Group and screen, type and cross. Does that make sense? Maybe this person's bleeding, right? Like trauma, right? Just run it. All right. You can do a hemoglobin, and there's other tests that we can do as well, too. Okay. How are we going to manage this patient? Good, good. So what medications do I tend to give for this guy? Good. So I can give some pantalop, right? Pentoprazole, IVPPI. Does that make sense? What else can I give? Good, right? So I, I kind of lay, I, I kind of get, I go fluids, blood, PPI, octreotide. Repeat that. Fluids, blood, PPI, octreotide. Does that make sense? The reason is this, right? You're going to get to the station and you're in a small community immersion. They're going to say you don't have a surgeon. How do you know he doesn't have a gastric cancer? Right? And can you, and, because what can't you do? You can't do what? You can't look inside his stomach, right? Right? You need to get him to someone who can look after, um, um, can look into his stomach and say, this person has this, this person has that, this person has the other thing. Crystal clear? So make sure you do appropriate volume resuscitation. Make sure you get blood. Does that make sense? Make sure you start your PPI and you can consider using octreotide, right? What, what kind of bleeds, what kind of upper GI bleeds is octreotide? We have the most evidence for octreotide. Not so much with ul gastric ulcers and stuff, but for varices, right? You consider it, right? If I told you that person is on treatment for hepatitis C and has a known history, was admitted two months ago for hepatic encephalopathy, would you start a creatide? Yeah. You don't know, right? Huge chance, right? Huge chance this person should just have an ulcer, but you don't know that they don't have a varices. You good so far? Excellent. Gee, I believe some interesting little scoring systems, you know, there's rock-salt scoring system and stuff and, and different types of scoring systems to kind of see what's your likelihood. Because with GI bleed, GI bleed rates, there's this thing called the, the re-bleed rate, right? I can't do anything for the bleed you just had. What I'm trying to do is predict the chance that you're going to die of another bleed or require a whole lot of blood from another bleed, right? So that re-bleed rate is kind of associated with what the doctor sees, what the surgeon sees when they look inside the stomach. We good so far? Yeah, was there a question in the back? I would use octreotide is different. Yeah. Okay, because yeah, octoplex... Octoplex is... Yeah, octoplex is kind of a reversal agent for Coumadin. Yeah, they're two different classes of medications. Two different classes of medications. So uh, octoplex is like prothrombin factor concentrate. So we give that to reverse people with Coumadin. Um, octreotide is like a somatomedian, right? So it, 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 uh, it affects the hemodynamics of portal circulation, right? So two completely different, completely different ones. Crystal clear, guys? Good so far? 
All right, upper GI bleed. So what are some common causes? Um, ulcers. What's that bug again that can cause ulcers again? H. pylori. Let's see, you go, you send them to our surgeon. The surgeon says, yeah, he has a duodenal ulcer. I send the biopsies for H. pylori. It comes back positive or, or, or positive. What are you going to treat that person with? What is triple therapy? What does PAC stand for? PPI. PPI. Amoxyl. The pack comes from. Does that make sense? Those are the three drugs. Those are the three drugs for how we treat H. pylori. Keep in mind too. This is not going to come up, but keep in mind we're we're, we're we're encountering a lot more issues with resistance. Right? So it's not uncommon, especially in, the, um, uh, in uh, my patient population, is that we see a lot of resistance. H. pylori becomes resistant to a lot of these first-line agents, right? So you have to be aware of that as well, too. I would just identify the class and the mechanism of action. Again, for this exam, don't worry about doses of medications, right? Like, don't worry. If it's a dose, it's going to be one out of 400 marks, right? You're much more important about knowing kind of the general class and the general approach to solving this particular issue. Crystal clear, guys? Notice I have to take a look to determine the cause, right? Yep. Whenever you're writing medications, do you have to write, like, if no contraindications? Or when would you write that? They would likely give you it in the in the STEM okay. if it was a contraindication. So, like, this person is on oral contraceptive pill, what anti-epileptic drug would you... Well, they wouldn't even ask, but they, they'd probably... They'd be more likely to give it to you in the STEM itself, right? Okay, so you just need to know that... Exactly. That it's a, it's a contraindication, right? Because that means, like, you know, every answer would be like, you know, naproxen if no contraindication. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because so far, the GI bleed... All right, just keep in mind, we have upper, we have lower. We talked about the common causes of both, right? We talked about some treatment in the emergency department. And remember, you're going to want to take a look, right? You're going to want to take a look to determine what is exactly the etiology behind this, right? What is exactly the, 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 uh, the etiology behind this? We good so far? Let's keep the train moving. So you're seeing another patient. Oh, man, 42-year-old guy. 42-year-old guy came inside fainting again. You're like, man, I'm seeing a lot of syncope. Your history, yeah, you know, this is syncope. It doesn't really seem like a seizure. EKG's fine. You know, my meeting stuff here. Do a little bedside echo. I teach you guys to do in the ACEs. You know, you're saying, oh, heart looks okay, you know. Um, uh, um, um, you know, heart looks okay. And then uh, I find out his hemoglobin again. Oh, my God, his hemoglobin's like 62, right? You're saying, oh, man, this looks like what? Is this person, you got a history that he's having some Molina again, right? So what are you thinking this guy could be having? Another? Man, this is like your second patient today with a GI bleed. You know what my record is for Sue Lookout? It's a one patient in, 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 the, in, in, the, uh, in the hospital. I had seven on one shift. With bad GI bleed. Remember, in Sue Lookout, you have four units of blood. Four to six units of blood. That's the all that you have, right? And remember, like, the obstetrician, the, Joe's going to want some, you know what I mean, and stuff, and the surgeon's going to cross-match a couple. Does that make sense? Yeah, they exactly. Well, no, you think, about, you think about why are we giving blood, right? That's sometimes, that's why you go through the ACEs course. It's making those type of decisions, right? If you guys are going out to Atacocan or place, like, don't think, remember, on, on the reserve line, like, there's no blood, right? And we have huge weights, right? We have huge, huge weights, right? I had a patient with a cervical ectopic. She had a cervical ectopic pregnancy. Those things bleed like you would not believe. And it took us almost 29 hours to wait for a plane. And we're like, try, try. This is not working. Try, try this. 
You know, we ended up solving that. We took a whole bunch of tampons. You know, we're trying to evacuate clots, evacuate clots, everything, just not doing that. You know what you do? The slurry. There you go. You're learning. We took a whole bunch of tampons. We mixed them in silver nitrate. You know what I mean? Stuffed it in there. Saved her life, right? Her heat level was 42 when she came down. 29 hours? What would happen? What would happen if she would continue bleeding? She would? There you go. It's not pretty, right? But and would I recommend that to do that in Thunder Bay? Absolutely not, right? Right? But in those situations, right? As we go through with that kind of those particular situations, they can sometimes be very, very life-saving, right? Right? Because you have to stop the bleeding. You have to stop the bleeding. If you do not stop the bleeding in that case, what's gonna happen? She's going to there you go. Right? Well, a cervical ectopic, just even with the cervical, we didn't know, I just thought, it, we, like, we couldn't diagnose that, of course. Very, it's, it's difficult, because cervical ectopics, right, they invade into the cervix, right? So then you have to remove part of the, you end up removing part of the cervix to remove the ectopic, right? And then, sorry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it didn't look, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cervical ectopics are bad. They bleed like sting. She did. She had a syncopal episode. She did. No, no, you're right. She didn't have a syncopal episode. While we were doing the speculum exam, she's like, I don't feel too good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those types of things. Cervical ectopics, are they very good? They bleed like stink, right? There you go. After her surgery. Perfect Sue. She's a living Sue. <laughs> yeah. So I think you guys, I think you guys got her and stuff. She was very sick. She was very, very sick. And think about it. We still only have, we still only have a couple units. Oh yeah, you can get a cervical ectopic. Not very. They bleed like stink. They, they are the ones that are worse for bleeding, right? Because imagine you have all this vascularized tissue in another vascularized tissue, and you can't. It's very difficult. And imagine when you remove that, what you do, you damage the cervix, right? So then she tries to conceive again. What's going to happen? Be more difficult, right? It's gonna be a lot harder, right? You might need a surplage next time or something like that, right? So, think those those type of things. Would I recommend doing that in Thunder Bay? No, right? Because you can take people to surgery. What can they do in Thunder Bay? They can do an emergency hysterectomy, right? Or just uterine. Can they do uterine artery embolization here? No, no. no eh? Yeah, exactly. But they'll just they'll just do it. They'll just do an emergency hysterectomy, right? They just say this bleeding is not slowing down. Open, snip, snip. Good to go. Right? We can't do that there. Right? I can't do that in. in uh, I can't do that where where I work up north. We good so far? Yeah. All right. Exactly. All right. So we have this other gentleman came inside. Came inside. This, this last case, that, not this last one we just talked about, but the one before, guy comes in, he's on treatment for hepatitis C, does he sound like, he comes inside, he's having this melina, came inside for a syncopal episode, we've assessed him, his hemoglobin is, his hemoglobin is, you know, what do we say, 60-something, you know? He's hep C positive, he's on treatment. We're going to talk about what that treatment is, right? Because that's one big thing that happened this past year, right? last couple of years, right, is that the treatment has changed, right, because we have a new class of medications, right? What are we concerned about in this guy's case? Remember, he has the same, virtually the same clinical presentation, complaining of the same things, but what is different about this guy's case, right? He's younger, and what does he have? He has hepatitis? Good. 
And what are we concerned about? What could he be causing? The other guy, you know, it was an ulcer. What are we thinking is higher probability in this guy? Pharisees. See, I can take the same thing, same symptoms, same hemoglobin, but you change the history a bit, and it's now a completely different question, right? So what are you, what are you, what are you going to do, right, for this guy? Excellent. Love it. CABs, right? Because if you don't do the CABs, and if it's the LMCC, you're going to find out, oh, their heart rate is 190. You know what I mean? Or their blood pressure is, you know, 60 on 40, right? Do your CABs, right? So let's say his, you know, his blood pressure is 90 on 60. His heart rate, um, his heart rate is uh, 90, right? Um, his, he's afebrile. His O2 sats are good. He's mentating appropriately. He says, Doc, I can just go home, right? Like, what are you going to do for him in your small community emergency department? I'm Good stuff. Group and screen, start fluids. Good. Fluid. So what are you going to do? Are you going to give him some? Maybe some? Fluids. You going to give him some? Blood. You're going to give him definitely a PPI. And what are you what are you going to be more inclined to do in him that maybe you might not have done in the other the, the other guys? Give make sure you give him a triotide, right? Remember you're in a small community, the surgeon, the surgeon, the surgeon isn't around, right? And one of the things you do in the area, right? Regional surgery call, right? Sometimes the surgeon has gone somewhere else, right? Get your slurry ready. You get your slurry ready. That's another thing. Exactly. There you go. What's that balloon called? Ryan, you don't remember the name of that balloon? We talked about it in one of our cases. Blakemore. That's we've put those down before. Blakemore tubes, right? I mean, have you ever seen a Blakemore before? It's like a gigantic foley that you put down the esophagus instead of in the urethra. Does that make sense? And what it does, it manually tamponades bleeds at the G junction. Have we had to put them down before? Yes. Because sometimes people are bleeding so severely and there's no surgeon there that you need to do that, right? So it's basically, it's a Blakemore is kind of, it has two balloons. It has a balloon on the end that's like a circle, and then it has another balloon that's kind of like a long cylinder. So you put it down, you inflate the big balloon, and if I pull back on the big balloon, it's going to get stuck at the GE junction. What, 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 when do, where do, where are varices most likely to form at? Right at the, right at the GE junction, right? Upper curvature. Does that make sense? We're good so far? So it tamponades that off. You do that first. If the bleeding is still there, then you actually inflate the second balloon, which is called the esophageal balloon. It's like a long cylindrical balloon, and if there's any esophageal varices, what's it going to do? It's going to manually tamponade those off. Right? The ACE course, you guys are going to put one down, right? Because you need to put one down. GI bleeds are common, Right? They happen up north. They, 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 they're very common, and you will not have a surgeon, right? Right? They're not hard to put down, right? But there's something like when I, you know, you know I, I have friends who are gastroenterologists, right, that have never put one down, right? Just because there was never a need to, right? Because if you train if you train in that center like Thunder Bay, they're not going to put one down. What are they going to do? They're going to sculpt the person, right? No, they did. They did? They probably put them down before. Huh? Even after. Even after, yeah. They still had to, yeah. But but that's a minority of cases, though. That would be a minority of cases, yeah. You can leave it in as long... You're shipping that person out, right? So you're shipping that person out. You leave it in. You do not deflate it. You do not until that person... Like, you want to keep... Because what could happen if you deflate it, right? The bleeding could come back. Remember, what if people with liver diseases... What... Are, is their INR usually normal? Exactly, right? So wait, if you're yeah. Exactly. You inflate with saline. Yeah, or water or something, right? Good point, right? Because what's going to happen when you go to altitude? You inflate with air? Yeah, exactly.
but but they won't be held. Like they won't be that close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It gets cold. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it. That would be really, really cold. You know what I mean? And you know that's a good point because sometimes you're waiting, right? Sometimes you're waiting. Let me give you guys another scenario. You have that patient. And you put in that tube, and you put in that, and you put in that tube, and you're putting that tube where I work in Wapakika, right? Right? And you're waiting, you just see the plane circling. This happens to me before. The plane just keep on circling, and circling, and it's the middle of night, and you're wondering, why isn't this plane landing? It's just circling. What is it on? Now get landing lights, right? Whenever I get, you know what I get the most, you know what I get kind of a little bit is when we lose power, right? Because that means if I, we lose power in the clinic, that means we lose power at the airport, right? And if we lose power at the airport, what can't land at night? Exactly, right? Right? So those little, those little things are, are things you, you never have to think of here, right? We agree. You never worry about here, right? You're always going to have lights and thunder at the airport, right? They're going to have generators and backup generators and backups for the backup, right? Right? But there, it's something that that's, it happens before, right? Uh, it's a good idea. You, usually you do. Like, usually you do. It would be difficult because they're going to have that in their throat. And, and just even add on, how do you think intubating someone who's bleeding with a varices looks like? It's pretty, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty, you know. It's, it's, because you're triggering gag reflex and what's happening. <laughs> You know what I mean? So the, 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 it, can be, it, can be, it can be dramatic, let's say that, right? And you, and do you think it's a good idea to, to support their airway? I would want to, right? Because they might be awake now, but what might they be in five minutes? Might they be decreased? Exactly, right? Could develop hepatic encephalopathy, could develop, you know, they can develop a lot of things, right? They can make them decreased LOC, their anemia can get worse, they're losing blood, and if they get decreased LOC, they're still bleeding, and what could that blood do? Instead of being going on the ground, it could go into the... And what's, how's that going to affect their oxygenation? Not very well. Good so far? All right, so we do this for this guy. Fluids, blood, PPI, octreotide. Are we rocking? All right. Right? Call the surgeon. He says, I give Eric a call. I say, Eric, man, you got to see this patient. He comes inside, sculpts this person, has a, has a varicy. Eric is super slick and stuff. How do they cure it? What, what, is it, what do they say? What does the surgeon do? What, what's the options for it? Banding, right? Right? So they can do a, a variceal band ligation, right? Right? It's really challenging. It's, you help out with the scopes while they're doing this, and they're like, oh, it's hard to get around the base, right? They basically use like elastic bands to, you know, block off the varices, right? Right? They can use sclerotherapy, right, as well, too. It right? probably doesn't work as well as banding, but surgeons tell me it's more easily. It's like sometimes it's easier to sclero, like do sclerotherapy than sometimes it is to do a variceal band ligation, like just technically, right? Because remember, it's, it's hard to do. These are not simple procedures even for the surgeon because what is this person doing? They're bleeding. So when they put down the scope, what can't the surgeon do? They can't? They can't see, right? Right. Interesting study looking at giving prokinetics before that, right? Like maybe the solution is give something that makes acts as a prokinetic so that it kind of allows things to get through, right? There's interesting trials looking at giving people erythromycin before that because it's a prokinetic, right? And it kind of forces stuff to go through, right? So it can, it can give them a better feel so they're more likely to have a successful banding, right?